once again, every uh, um, business's markets are different, of course. The way you do sales, for instance, is different. The way you uh, um, uh, procure uh, services and materials is different. Having said that, the best advice I got and that I would pass along, and I've said this before, is um, advice I got from my brother, who's also an entrepreneur, who has a, a successful startup and business. And his advice was, um, it is kind of goes hand in hand with what I said a little bit, but it's very easy to get caught up in building a nice website and in, uh, you know, putting together nice materials and doing, I don't know, maybe you do focus groups or primary research, or maybe you would uh, spend a lot of time putting together LinkedIn posts and content and whatnot. And again, for some that works, but at least in our markets, in our industry, where we're really selling business to business to, um, you know, stakeholders within large uh, companies, um, you have to just pick up the phone and call and, and sell. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. You ever need help with yours? Just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, uh, John Frechette. And uh, John uh, started his journey growing up in uh, Massachusetts, uh, liking sports, uh, and then went off to college um, to uh, to study finance, um, graduated and uh, started working for uh, Ernst & Young. Um, and then uh, Ernst & Young uh, moved over uh, or from there uh, into a blockchain group and uh, moved, uh, moved uh, from that blockchain group over to uh, DC and uh, started working with a consulting and communications firm. Um, also, the, or during that time, finished up a, a graduate degree in economics and uh, more recently I started a re uh, his research firm uh, about a year and a half ago. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, John. Yeah, really appreciate it. You nailed the intro. Yeah, awesome. thanks, Devin. Well, uh, I, I, I condense everybody's life into a, a 30 or 45 second <laughs> version. So I guess it's a gift. But uh, why don't uh, we, we uh, rewind and unpack that just a little bit um, and tell us a little bit about uh, how your journey got uh, got started. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, so I guess I'll, like you said, I grew up in Massachusetts. Uh, you threw in the part about sports. I forgot. What, yeah, I did like sports. I still do. Played football uh, growing up. In fact, in high school, I wasn't uh, such a wonderful student. Uh, frankly, went to school, Bridgewater State, uh, played football there as well, at least for a couple of years till I got uh, blood clots in my leg, if you could believe it. But, you know, it was a little bit of a, a, a gift in disguise because that's when I really took up academics. Like most people, I don't know, maybe like you, Devin, just kind of fell in love with business and, and finance in particular, uh, studied that as, as an undergrad, came to Washington, D.C. to work at Ernst & Young. I worked in their internal audit group, which I always say is very um, unrewarding work, but you learn a lot and it. it's a total grind working in internal audit. And so uh, once again, for the, the 99% yeah. of us that don't know what is an internal audit. Well, you've got obviously many different businesses. Their primary business is external audit. So you've got a bunch of CPAs that are uh, basically checking uh, various aspects of a company's financial statements and doing things like reconciling bank balances with financial statement line items to make sure there's you know, in short, no fraud going on. Internal audit is like the same thing, but for internal company processes, uh, it's a risk management function. And so for instance, if there, you know, it's things like if there needs to be 
uh, reviews and approvals of particular transactions. That's an internal policy procedure uh, uh, decision. Then you've got an internal audit team. Usually that team, by the way, is made up of both uh, company employees and consultants and external advisors like I was at Ernst & Young. And they're uh, checking to make sure that those reviews and approvals happened on transactions, or they're checking to make sure that there are certain uh, checks going on within software uh, systems. They're making sure that certain things are documented appropriately. So like I said, pretty mundane. You get into the, the, the details of some of these processes, you get into the details of the accounting systems that companies are using, for instance. So as you can imagine, it is, uh, it's a pretty good learning opportunity for you know, a first year analyst. No, so um, like, you know, Ernst & Young is certainly a, a renowned uh, place to work and a big firm as well as it uh, sounds like to, you got some uh, great experience now. How long were you with Ernst & Young? And because I think that there was a few transitions as you started to get maybe more into blockchain and that. So walk us through that a bit. So funny enough, the uh, I was with EY Total for about four and a half years, but actually it was after about a year and a half in the internal audit group that I moved over to the blockchain team. And um uh, I happened to have written a thesis, honors thesis in college about blockchain. And so like a lot of people, I really got, um, you know, super obsessed with the technology. And uh, when I got to EY, I reached out to the global blockchain leader, actually, right even before I got there, I reached out to him. His name is Paul Brody, by the way, and um, just wanted to get on some side projects and wanted to work on, you know, whatever the team was working on, whether it be deals or engagements or something like that. and. So through the year and a half I worked in IA, internal audit, I was doing, you know, nighttime projects with the blockchain group. And then after that year and a half, they asked me to come in. And so that's where I worked for, let's say, the, the back half of my time at EY, really two and a half years or so. Um, started doing uh, mostly operations there, everything from product management related activities to budget requests to uh, mm -hmm. a little bit of business development to developing materials to, you know, Again, pretty much everything under the sun. Towards the tail end, I'd say the last year of my time within that group, it really, um, I pivoted to working almost entirely on uh, business development, working on deals, particularly in Europe. So I spent most of my time in that last year in Paris. I lived in Paris for a while and then spent some time in London as also. Once again, right at the tail end, uh, we were fortunate to have you know brought in some deals. And so I was working on uh, projects as an engagement manager. Uh, then... After that time, I made the jump. But that um, that blockchain group, you know, su super interesting place to be. As you can imagine, it is both exciting and very frustrating to work in kind of an emerging technology business within a very, very large, uh, pretty old accounting firm. And so uh, anyways, it was exciting, but also pretty challenging. Mm. So now, um, so now you're there four and a half years, got a, a, some great opportunity with a couple different divisions, get the experience now. Uh, from yeah. UI, where did you, you know, you or obviously, or went, I think you went to DC from there and then uh, after doing some traveling, but kind of, you know, what made you decide to, or move on from EY and kind of how did you decide what that uh, next Ooh. phase would be? I guess that that's a good question. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I was based in DC initially, went over to Europe for a while, came back to DC to, um, uh, to work at a, uh, you know, many different ways to describe it. Strategy consulting firm, strategic communications is really, I think, their biggest business. And, um, you know, I think, frankly, that was just more the type of work that I wanted to do. I had started a graduate degree in economics by that point. I knew I wanted to 
um, do more around economics. The opportunities to work on economics within, let's say, a technology like blockchain are, are pretty niche. You need to be super, super invested in and um, want to basically dedicate your entire uh, uh, a career, at least for some time, to working within blockchain economics. Once again, very niche. Wanted to go a little bit more broad. So went to that firm, uh, really interesting DC-based uh, communications firm. They work with mostly very senior level stakeholders, a combination of um, CEOs, you know, executive vice presidents, some uh, really reputable figures. So that it was an exciting place to be. But then once I finished that graduate degree in economics, I just, you know, I I, um, I felt like it was time. I, I sort of had the itch to start a company and uh, I, I had been in and around consulting and research and communications enough to see that there was an opportunity, specifically with my company now, Sourced Economics, the opportunity was pretty straightforward. It was that a lot of the, uh, for instance, techniques that I was learning and using in academia, a lot of the research that I was uh, uh, reviewing and looking into in terms of literature, all of that I thought could be super relevant for leadership teams, let's just say, especially in the area of Fortune 500 companies or you know similar size companies. And I also knew that the professors that I was learning from, collaborating with, and certainly reading the papers of uh, those types of authors, I knew they were also very brilliant. And if there was maybe some individuals that could really translate that very brilliant research, which is often you know, uh, a little bit difficult to translate given all the Greek letters and uh, regression tables and whatnot. If somebody could translate that for a business audience, there was an op a business, you know, good opportunity there. So that is uh, what led to the founding of Source Economics. That was in March, 2022. So a um, year and a half ago, I can't tell if it feels like it was 10 years ago or, or a couple of days ago, but nonetheless, it's been a year and a half. So now, you, so you decide, okay, you know, you, you get the experience from the, the previous companies, you kind of go through that, uh, uh, you know, have a, a good or get a good background, figure out, you know, kind of what you do want to do, where you want to uh, focusing. And so you decide, okay, a year and a half ago, you're going to dive in, kind of do your own thing. Now, you know, there's a difference between understanding what you want to do versus going about actually getting it set up, getting a business built around it and then start getting people to actually pay you for that. So kind of walk us through once you kind of figured out where you wanted to focus, how did you go about getting the business set up, finding customers and, and everything along those lines? Uh, so it was, um, you know, I I, uh, I had built a little bit of a network, let's say in my time in, in consulting, but certainly um, nothing substantial. So I tried to reach out certainly to some of my contacts. I stay in touch with some of those people, but for the most part, it was entirely cold outreach, especially towards the beginning. And so that was exactly what you would think it was. It was, you know, uh, putting out lots of emails and feelers, making uh, 100 calls a day, um, you know, sending a lot of LinkedIn requests a day, and also doing my best to, <clears throat> doing my best to, I'd say, um, just kind of get my perspectives on paper and get them out on LinkedIn and in thought leadership and whatnot. I mean, as you know, Devin, when you start a company, it really feels like you have to and are trying to move mountains. And so it really felt like every day, just, you know, making a hundred calls. It, it was, uh, it's such a different type of environment you're operating in when you're obviously all, all alone for the most part, with the exception of maybe some university professors I worked with versus in a very large reputable firm reaching out to potential clients. So the point is it was, uh, just, it was entirely cold outreach for the most part. Um, 
when we started just kind of scratching and clawing for opportunities and to get in meetings and whatnot. And I would say it was three or four months in after we started that cold outreach that um, long story short is that I reached the CEO of a, a large uh, uh, a kind of food manufacturing business, a global food manufacturer. He, he um, referred me to his uh, operations finance leader and uh, one thing led to another. We got our first project, which was exciting. It was a small two-week pilot, basically. And that led to, that sort of snowballed. You know, you leverage that first set of experiences in, in that case study, and you go to some other companies. And um, yeah, been fortunate over the last couple of years, things have really picked up. We still do a lot of outreach, but um, let's say personally, I spend most of my time, if not, you know, to, to too much of an extent, Almost all of it is on client work, which is very different than where I was a year and a half ago. So it's exciting. No, that is exciting. And yeah, I mean, when you get the business started, uh, it's uh, it's exciting and overwhelming with uh, what you have and to do figuring things out. And, uh, you know, everything from where do I find customers to how do I price things to how do I do taxes to banking to setting everything up. And so definitely uh, sounds like a uh, par for course and I'm sure still uh, going along uh, some of that journey so now so you've been doing it for about a, a year and a half and it sounds yep. like you know starting to gain traction get perspective always exciting to land that you know first client or first contract so now if you're to say okay looking out you know or kind of the for the next you know six to 12 months where do you see things headed or kind of what's uh, the next steps well it would be nice I'm not I think this is a pipe dream but it'd be nice to get into something a little bit more as usual um, right now we are, um, just kind of, uh, running around with our hair on fire, uh, uh, which is an exciting way to be And you know, maybe I'm, uh, uh, maybe if it weren't that way, I'd be a little uncomfortable, but the point is settling into a business as usual would be great. We are, um, just starting to this year, we just started to hire, um, you know, kind of research team members. So, uh, for instance, we brought in, a, I'll just name these people, a really amazing, uh, a PhD graduate from Purdue University. Her name is Dr. Ife Zhu. She is a real a brilliant researcher. And in fact, Devin, I mean, I maybe have some skills here and there, but when I started to see Ife's work, I realized I need to get away from actually doing the research as quickly as possible. Uh, and that is because there are so many, so much talent out there, uh, so many brilliant economists that I think would thrive in this type of organization working on these types of problems. So uh, what I'm getting to is that, um, you know, I think, this difference will be, I would love to build a more substantial research team and be doing a little bit more personally executive activities. So working a little bit more on sales, working a little bit more on partnerships and um, really being able to build stronger client relationships rather than just kind of rushing towards deliverables and uh, trying to deliver lots of research uh, between just a couple of us every week. So business as usual would be nice, but we'll see what happens. Hey, well, you know, and it's interesting as you evolve, you know, you start out kind of jack of all trades, having to get everything done just for, by the very nature of it. Somebody has to do it and, you, don't, you know, you're that person. And then as you evolve, you say, okay, here are the people that can honestly do a better job over here and here and here than I can. And no doubt. And yep. add the most value. So it sounds like, you know, as you guys continue to progress, you continue to identify those areas where you can add the most value and who can add the, the value that uh, is uh, even more beneficial. So it sounds like. Yeah. And journey. And you know what? The other thing, Devin, is the more you can kind of divide labor internally, the more industries you can actually compete in. And so just being fully transparent, you know, a, a type of industry that we don't really compete in is a place like financial services. Part of the reason we don't compete in that area is because they have 
very large teams of economists generally. And so you have to be quite specialized in the, uh, for instance, literature and modeling techniques around, I don't know, asset pricing or something like that. Um, that is a very tough thing for any of us to dedicate substantial amounts of time to currently because we're so kind of time constrained mm. and, uh, and bandwidth constrained. But the more we can get, you know, more people on board with new skills and expertise, the more we can, you know, compete kind of uh, uh, across the board. So I think that's that's a big priority, obviously. Absolutely makes uh, makes perfect sense. So, so now with that, so now as uh, we've kind of reached the, the present day of the journey, and even looking a bit into where things are headed, it's a great time to transition to the uh, two questions I always like to ask at the end of each episode. So we're going to jump to those now. So the first question I always like to ask is: Along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made, and what did you learn from it? I'm going to give you two. I've been thinking about this a little bit. So the first one is actually a mistake I, I did not make. I've made plenty of mistakes. This one is one I did not. And it was, um, uh, let's just say it was an important life life lesson that I went in a certain direction and it turned out um, being a good decision. Uh, we we talked about a little bit in depth, the EY, the transition to the blockchain team. Um, you know, when that opportunity came up, this is more kind of personal career advice, I guess, rather than let's say startup or entrepreneurial advice. When that opportunity came up, you know, it was a little bit scary. Uh, and the reason it was a little bit scary was because, you know, I was working in a part of EY that where, you know, they they provide a great service, but it's been around for longer, a little bit more hierarchical, a um, little bit more uh, a kind of uh, a standard and structured. You work with, you know, your managers who work with their senior managers, et cetera. Going into the blockchain team is a little bit more like the wild, wild west. I knew that because I had worked with the team a little bit beforehand. So, you know, naturally, a little bit uh, intimidating knowing that I would jump into a position where, A, I was reporting directly to uh, the partner in charge of that team. Um, and then also I knew I'd be working with lots of different people from different countries on different continents and lots of, you know, partners and senior managers. And I remember, you know, seriously deliberating and, and trying to figure out that decision. And I think when I realized I was scared and intimidated, and that might have prevented me from making the the change, uh, that's when I decided to make the change. So the point is, you know, I hear people saying, that, "Well, you know, don't try to move too fast or set yourself up for success." But at least in my case, I'm very, very glad I took that uh, uh, substantial risk. Uh, I'm in a, a different place today than I would have been. That's for sure. And I ended up. Um, being able to work for, you know, probably the best boss I'll ever have in, in, uh, in Paul Brody. And so the point is, uh, I would say that is, I'm glad I didn't make that mistake. And I would advise others, if, you, if you're too scared to maybe take an opportunity, that is maybe a sign to take it. Um, in terms of business mistakes, I, I really would just point to one, Devin. As an entrepreneur, as you know, lots of people have lots of advice. Um, doesn't mean you should always take it. Uh, you know, no one understands your markets like you do. And uh, one bad piece of advice I remember I took, especially towards the tail end of 2022, was that, well, you know, something along the lines of, John, you've got a good pipeline, you've got some clients, um, stop worrying about lead generation and business development, just worry about, you know, managing your relationships and trying to uh, work on the opportunities that are already in the pipeline. Again, this is advice for entrepreneurs. Turned out to be very bad advice. I um, and most of the mistakes I've made with sourced economics have tended to revolve around um, not, you know, neglecting sales, frankly, and neglecting, let's say, uh, 
efforts that help to grow the business rather than just maintaining existing client accounts and keeping clients and existing prospects happy. So never, never forget to invest in growth, even when it seems like you, you, you know, don't have time for it. That would probably be my biggest mistake that I made and lesson that I learned. Awesome. Well, you hit on uh, two uh, or some uh, great lessons learned and uh, mistakes made, and uh, always fun to hear that aspect of the journey. So, then you started to touch on it, but I'll still ask my second question. I always like to ask yep. hit on that as well, which is: so now, if you were to uh, you know be talking to somebody that's uh, just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you give them? Number uh, once again, every uh, um, business's markets are different. Of course, the way you do sales, for instance, is different. The way you uh, um, uh, procure uh, services and materials is different. Having said that, the best advice I got and that I would pass along, and I've said this before, is um, advice I got from my brother, who's also an entrepreneur who has a a successful startup and business. And his advice was, um, it is kind of goes hand in hand with what I said a little bit, but it's very easy to get caught up in building a nice website and in, uh, you know, putting together nice materials and doing, I don't know, maybe you do focus groups or primary research, or maybe you would uh, spend a lot of time putting together LinkedIn posts and content and whatnot. And again, for some that works, but at least in our markets, in our industry, where we're really selling business to business to, um, you know, stakeholders within large uh, companies, um, you have to just pick up the phone and call and, and sell. Um, it, it, once again, there are a lot of fun things about, uh, being an entrepreneur. There are some not so fun things. I don't think for me, at least cold calling, um, you know, trying to, uh, sell, doing a lot of outreach is at least initially was the not so fun thing, but you have to do it. And if you get sales and you get opportunities, everything else will follow. So that is, that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Don't get so distracted with everything else. Just call customers and call prospects and start selling. No, I think that's uh, definitely a great uh, piece of advice and uh, a great takeaway. So, well, now as we do wrap uh, towards the end of the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Ooh, I guess um, uh, if you have the patience, you can type in my email, john at sourcedeconomics.com, J-O-H-N at sourcedeconomics.com. Also, I mean, we've experimented different kind of social media platforms, but we use LinkedIn primarily. So John Frechette, obviously you can see the name here. That'd be the easiest way to reach out to me, I think. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, support a great business, uh, make a new connection. If nothing else, uh, make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you the listeners are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So let's go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, leave us a review. Helps us to reach even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey to success. And on that note, if along your journey, you ever need help with patents or trademarks or anything else with your startup, your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com grab some time with us to chat and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Sounds good. You too. Thanks, Devin. Have a good one.